From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello, friends. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Thrilled that you are with us. I'm coming to you today from Maranatha Baptist University in beautiful Watertown, Wisconsin. I'm spending four days with 100 of the best and brightest from the state of Wisconsin, talking about worldview and public policy this week, helping them understand the opportunities they have as young people to lead. Now, this event, which we are proud to be part of this week, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Family Action. It's uh, curiously, notably, one of the state family policy councils that FRC is proud to partner with. They are also one of the organizations that was targeted by pro-abortion arsonists after the leaked opinion in the Dobbs case. You'll recall that Dozens of organizations, churches, pregnancy centers, policy organizations around the country have been targeted by violence, arson, vandalism. Uh, All of that can be found at WashingtonStand.com because that's where we have detailed those events. But one of them happened at Wisconsin Family Action, and I can report from the scene that their work continues full speed ahead despite the attacks, and we would expect Nothing less, of course, but it is a pleasure to be with them. When you spend a lot of time with young people in America and you see who's coming up, the kind of conviction they have, the kind of convert courage they have, as well as the commitment to what is good, true, and beautiful. It really does inspire you. So it's been my pleasure. Uh, it is my pleasure, and I will be here uh, this week doing that, which is why I'm broadcasting uh, from Maranatha Baptist University today, which is the host of this incredible event, uh, Lead Wisconsin. So it's my pleasure to do so, and it's my pleasure to be with you as well. Today on the program, several stories we want to cover. Over 60,000 members of the military are about to be denied the opportunity to serve because they have not received the COVID vaccine. What will this mean for military readiness? We'll discuss it. Also, There's a brewing conflict between the White House and congressional Democrats over the response to the Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court. What does this mean for the president? Also, toward the end of the program, the state of Florida is taking steps to prohibit Medicaid funding from being used for gender reassignment and cross-sex hormones. We'll get into the latest from Florida as well as the story of a young lady who told the Florida legislature that she was transgender, but now she isn't. The stories of detransitioners like her are becoming a more important and a more prevalent part of the national conversation about transgenderism and transgender politics. All of that coming up a little bit later on the program today. Okay. After last Thursday's deadline, um, we have, and who do we have coming up? Okay. And we, we are awaiting a member who apparently is not going to be with us at the moment. So bear with us. One quick note. Um, some of you may know that Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts has her war paint on because she is attacking pregnancy resource centers all over the country, saying that they need to be shut down. Now, why do they need to be shut down, in her opinion? Because they do not perform abortions. Now, this is incredible, but they need your help, and we want to help you send, we want you to help us send that message. So sign our petition urging Senator Warren to stop going after pregnancy resource centers, and to do that, visit FRC Action dot org slash prc that's frcaction.org slash prc now okay after last thursday's deadline for military guardmen guardsmen and reservists to get the covid 19 pass at least sixty thousand unvaccinated guardsmen and reservists will be barred from service as well as see their benefits slashed. This comes at a time when the military continues to fall short of its, retru- of its recruitment goals despite lowering standards and offering record incentives to potential service members. 
with a war in Ukraine still raging and China's continuing aggression and military buildup, is this the right time to be pushing people out of the military? Here to discuss this is U.S. Representative Scott Perry, chairman of the House Freedom Caucus and also a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He represents the 10th Congressional District of Pennsylvania. Congressman Perry, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks for having me. And of course, um, having spent over 35 years in uniform myself, I'm incredibly dismayed at, uh, at what we're seeing, the hollowing out of the force. Uh, we've seen it happen uh, from a policy perspective for, I'd say, about the last 10 to 15 years in earnest. And now we're seeing it literally from the members and all that experience being stripped away. Remember, this uh, this so-called vaccination, which is, I think, r realistically a therapeutic at best, is still experimental. Uh, I I'm a person and many people like me have gotten we've got a full shot record uh, of many, many vaccinations on behalf of the military that were required of us. You knew it was part of the mission when you signed up, but never to a point where you questioned the accuracy, the validity and the safety of, yeah. of what the military was putting in your body. On this occasion, I think based on everything that we've read, everything's out there in the public domain and, of course, the the actions of some of the manufacturers and that they don't want to, yeah. the people to know. You still can't know. You still don't get to know what's in uh, in these so-called vaccines, and yet they're forcing the military to take them. Uh, arguably, the most healthy segment of the United States population uh, and at the lowest risk yeah. And it just it goes to show how ideological this administration, yeah. this commander in chief is and how they they're interested in making sure that anyone who dissents about anything regarding the administration's policies uh, must be cleansed and uh, and must be silenced. And, that, and that's what we're literally seeing. Hey, Representative Perry, you've touched on this a bit, but there are those who say this is really very simple. They have disobeyed a military command. It's not unusual to punish service members who refuse to carry out orders. Is this different than that in your mind? No, actually, it, there's, there's truth to that. You, you must obey orders. And so if you're not going to, if that's the order and you're not going to obey the order, there have to be, there are consequences. And those service members have a decision to make. I guess the point I'm making is, is that the senior leadership has decisions to make as well. And knowing that many member, many uh, uniformed service members or, that are going to be leaving the force because of this is a detriment to the force itself and to national security. And when you've got that kind of circumstance, it's important to take a breath and make sure that your policy is correct. There must be some reason. There must be some reason after all. Uh, Representative Perry, it looks like we may have lost that connection, and we will see if we can get him back. It is the wonders of the Internet and trying to communicate uh, from a distance. And, and when he gets back, I do want to ask him this question. because in And the March, military needs to take stock of that, and they're not doing that. Representative Perry, you did drop off there for just a moment, so I may, I'm going to ask you a question. I think we're going to catch up yeah. to you uh, uh, briefly here. Okay. But – in March of this year, the CDC released data that said 95% of Americans have COVID antibodies, either from uh, the vaccine or because they've been exposed to the virus. Given that number, is there even a conceivable health benefit from requiring a vaccine at this point? I think there potentially can be for certain people under, under certain conditions, but as I said, in this part might have been dropped off as we're talking about one of the, if not the healthiest, segment of the American population being forced to do this. And I would suggest that uh, that the data doesn't show that they're at great peril of, of, of some kind of uh, national security event due to uh, the onset of COVID-19 in a mass scale across the military. And so this is really about managing risk for our senior leaders. But it's apparent to me that this is an ideological circumstance by the administration, and they're not really taking the risk to national security and the hollowing out of the experience in the force into play when they force this decision and forcing many members uh, that are well-trained, that we have paid for, that, that, that training cannot be replaced quickly, and some can never re be replaced over time for this hasty ideological decision. And I think that that's what we're seeing here, and that's really unfortunate because we're jeopardizing 
all of our national security uh, because of this political ideology that you will submit or you will be silenced. Yeah. I think there's a growing number of Americans who see this as an issue of submission rather than concern for public health. But Representative Perry, I want to bring up another subject with you because the debate sure. about what's happening at the border just continues. Uh, Vice President Harris had this to say about the growing concerns over the border. I want to play clip one and then let you react to that. I um, would suggest that so-called leaders focus on solutions instead of attacks if they really are concerned about a problem. And that includes on the issue of immigration, passing a pathway for citizenship, fixing what in particular under the prior administration was a badly broken system. Representative Perry, are the president's critics on immigration just focused on attacks or are they trying to find solutions? <laughs> well, actually, the solutions are at hand uh, in many, many cases. Actually, in most cases, laws are on the books as the solutions. The American people have supported those laws on numerous occasions through uh, numerous elections, uh, both at the executive and the legislative level. And uh, the failure and the unwillingness and, and uh, of the Biden administration and Vice President Harris herself to follow the law. You know, it's one thing to talk about service members that uh, aren't following orders and that being consequences. But what are the consequences when the chief executive and the vice president refuse to follow the orders? And as a matter of fact, it's actually worse than that. They're actually flouting the law, actively disobeying the law when they have one duty, and that is to faithfully discharge uh, the laws of, that are made by this legislature and, and, this, and this process that we have. So um, with all due respect uh, to the vice president, the criticism is actually warranted. The solutions are ha in hand. They refuse to acknowledge them, and they certainly refuse to implement them. And I, I would also say this regarding the pathway to citizenship that she discussed. Uh, I I'm not sure why that's even necessary at this point, as long as they're going to leave the border wide open for anybody that wants to come in. There are more requirements on American citizens in their daily lives than there are for people that come across the border illegally and reside in the United States of America. And that's not how it's supposed to be. And so we all want to help. We're all understanding of the plight of people that want to come to the United States of America. But we either live in a world of laws and rules where people abide by them or we don't. What we have is a two-tiered system. Secretary, uh, uh, Vice President Harris and, and President Biden refuse to abide by the same laws that you and I have to. And that system does not last very long. Representative Perry, it is slightly ironic that we're about to kick out more than 60,000 service members for refusing to obey orders when the White House does seem to have a problem uh, trying to figure out whether they want to enforce uh, their orders, which are the laws of the United States. In about 15 seconds, still getting really bad inflation numbers. Is that ever going to end? Well, certainly not under this administration. What they're looking to do in the Democrat Party is change the leadership. They don't want Joe Biden anymore because his numbers are terrible. What they haven't figured out is it doesn't matter if it's Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, or any random Democrat there. As long as these policies continue, the American people are going to reject it because it's awful. It's awful for them economically. They're doing worse, and they feel it every single day. So they're uh, talking about solutions. The solution isn't necessarily to change Joe Biden. The solution is to change these these horrific policies that are destroying the, you. the economic well-being of the American people. Representative Perry, we are out of time. Thank you for your time. Talk to you soon. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible.
1 Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. Thrilled to have you with us. Coming to you today from Maranatha Baptist University in Watertown, Wisconsin, where it is my privilege to be part of the Wisconsin LEAD program. It's a leadership and worldview training program that I am blessed to be part of this week and thrilled to join you from here. Members of Congress today returned to the Capitol for the first time since the Supreme Court overturned the infamous Roe versus Wade decision. Democrats are geared to hold a series of votes and hearings this week related to abortion. Now, among the bills to be voted on is the Women's Health Protection Act, which the left claims will codify Roe, but does a lot more than that. There's also a bill related to traveling across state lines to get abortions. With me to discuss all of it is U.S. Congresswoman Jackie Walorski, a member of the House Ways and Means Committee and ranking member of the Subcommittee on Worker and Family Support. She serves the second congressional district of Indiana. Congresswoman Walorski, welcome back to the program. It's so good to see you, Joseph. Thank you so much. And what an important thing to be talking about today as we look into D.C. this week. You know, there is just, um, there is such a, an absolute fascination by Pelosi and her hardline left and this president, Joe Biden, on making sure that they are going to do everything they can to ignore the U.S. Supreme Court, to bring bills down, to try to codify abortion, trying to undo what the Supreme Court just did. And, you know, one of the new one of the new frontiers of abortion where we're going to we're going to talk about it this week is uh, chemical abortions with these pills. So I've already been working on making sure that we start getting our hands on how this is going to work and make sure we start regulating these drugs that are going to start coming from foreign countries into our women and girls. So, you know what? We have a long road ahead of us. I think it's important that we celebrate the victory that we had with Roe. But I think that for those of us that are conservative lawmakers, females especially, we need to make sure we keep our eye on that target. And that target is making sure that the Supreme Court, what they said, absolutely will happen. And this will kick back to the states. Yeah, that's a really good point. And the tremors from the Dobbs decision are certainly being felt. The White House continues to react. And I think increasingly the White House is getting pressure to react more strongly than they have just to appease the the base of the left. Here's something that, that President Biden had to say about this. Let's play clip three and Representative Walorski, I want you to respond to that. Let's sure. be clear about something from the very start. This was not a decision driven by the Constitution. Let me say it again. This was not a decision driven by the Constitution. 
And despite what those justices and the majority said, this was not a decision <clears throat> driven by history. What's your reaction? Not a decision informed by the Constitution? Well, can I just tell you, we've been around, you and I, Tony, for the last 50 years or close to it, and been involved with a leftist court in this country that could have cared less what conservatives thought. And you know what? We stayed focused. We went to our marches. We did our homework. We elected people. We elected a president to put conservatives in the court. Since when is it the job of the U.S. president to not listen to a, a, a rule that came down from the Supreme Court. It's not like we can just go on and with our merry little way. This is a significant stop. This is a significant ruling. And we will not, as far as conservatives, that will get the House back in November, we will not be denied. We will not be set back by this president's left-wing radical abortion agenda. Now, the congressional Democrats do plan to bring up votes on two specific bills. Do you expect any of them to make progress? No. I expect more poison from Nancy Pelosi. She's been the queen of poison on this issue since I have been in the Congress. She's going to be out there doing as much toxic damage as she can do to the issue of life that she can while she still has the gavel. That's why I just am so thankful that she's going to lose that gavel in, you know, in January, and we're going to have an opportunity to continue this fight in this march on the behalf of the sanctity of life. Now, I think even the Democrats would acknowledge that one of the primary reasons they're doing this is because they see this as an issue that can motivate their base in November do you agree with them that this is an issue that they can take to the ballot in November and win? I really don't. I, I really don't, Joseph. And, you know, as we're looking at polling today, I'm looking at my district and my community in uh, northern Indiana here. And, you know, Hoosiers can't put gas in their tanks. There's a war on fuel and energy in this country spurred by none other than Joe Biden's attack. There's inflation with grocery shelves empty. Meat is $10 a pound. The reality of what's happening in this country, I am telling you, is going to see a turnaround at the federal level, and it's basically coming down to how people are living. Do they have a quality of life? They don't in my district. No, they don't. Do I think that they're going to go to that ballot box and look at what some left-wing agenda wanted with abortion on demand by taxpayers' money? No, I don't. And I think what we're going to see in, no, in November and in January is going to be historic change because of what the American people want, and they're getting ripped off. Do you think that historic change can lead to some substantive difference in the way the federal government has handled this issue? We've heard a lot of talk from Republicans on this issue in the past, and we know that for the first two years of the Trump administration, the Republicans had a majority, and there were promises about defunding Planned Parenthood and a lot of promises made on the issue. Do you think there are substantive things that can be done if there is a red wave in November? I absolutely do. I mean, we, you know, I'm already working, Joseph, on – you know, regulating those abortion pills so we don't have girls and women in this country getting pills that could be poison and toxic coming from the Internet, uh, derivatives in other countries. I'm already working on that. We have Born Alive. We have so many bills that we've been working on in the minority just waiting to drop in January when the House changes. So we've got our work cut out, but we're prepared, and we are yeah. at the ready to be doing our due diligence. And very quickly, in about 30 seconds, if it's possible, you've introduced the Safeguarding Women's and Children's Health Act. What are you trying to accomplish there? Well, I think it's important, again, with these drugs and these chemicals that are coming out from all over the place, we're, we're going to be inundated with them. Just like with the open border now, we're inundated with poison, toxic fentanyl going all over the country, killing young people while Biden goes on his merry way and says nothing and looks, doesn't look at the border. These are toxic pills that are coming into our country that have got to be regulated, and we're going to have to come together in a strong way to make sure that we get this right and that we get it right early on when we get the majority back in uh, January. Representative Walorski, we thank you so much for your courage and your leadership and your time today. Thanks, Joseph. Good to see you. Good to see you. Coming up, we're going to continue this conversation. A lot of chatter in Washington, D.C. about a conflict between congressional leadership and the White House over the response to Dobbs. We'll talk more about it when we return here on Washington Are you a university student? 
Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Reminder that you can find this in every episode of Washington Watch at TonyPerkins.com. Well, it's been more than two weeks since the Supreme Court struck down the 49-year-old Roe versus Wade decision that legalized abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. And to say that dust is still settling on this monumental shift in policy would be an understatement. Both sides of the abortion debate are still grappling with how to approach a post-Roe world. On the left, the radical abortion wing of the Democratic Party is still debating how to preserve the so-called right to abortion after the court returned the issue to the people. Joining me now to discuss it is Connor Semmelsberger. He's FRC's Director of Federal Affairs and Human Dignity. Connor, welcome back to the show. Great to be back, Joseph. Tell us first this this conversation, this chatter about a conflict between congressional Democrats and the White House in terms of how this should be responded to. What's going on there? Yeah, you're seeing a fracturing. Obviously, we, it's pretty well known that the Democratic Party of today is very much pro-abortion. They want you to pay for it with your taxpayer funds. And they want it through all nine months. But in terms of a legislative and an executive response to Roe being overturned, uh, they're at wit's end against each other. You've got Elizabeth Warren, Pramaya Jalapal in the House really anchoring that progressive wing of the Democrat Party. And they want it all. They want uh, riots in the streets. They want pregnancy resource centers shut down. And they want the Women's Health Protection Act passed and signed into law tomorrow. And at the same time, while Biden administration is supportive of taxpayer-funded of abortions, as well as signing the Women's Health Protection Act, uh, the activists really want the, uh, the White House to go way further than maybe internal lawyers are telling them to go in terms of uh, the calls to put abortion clinics on federal lands or declare a health emergency. This administration just seems that they don't want to wade into those legal waters knowing that the Supreme Court just handed an overturning of Roe, that if they weed too far into pushing the limits on what the president can do, uh, they might face further legal challenges up at the Supreme Court. Now, Connor, there's little disagreement on policy between congressional leadership and the White House, uh, but there are political realities in the Senate specifically that prevent both the White House and the leadership in the, in the, in the House from getting what they would like is the difference between congressional leadership and the White House, is it just, just really they want the White House to be angrier than they are? Or are there specific things that they would like to see the president do that he's not right now doing? 
Yeah, I think it's a both. I think they'd love for him to give a speech every single day, three times a day, on how much uh, he loves abortion. But I think you hit the nail on the head, which is when the party puts up the Women's Health Protection Act or the Abortion on Demand Until Birth Act as the gold prize of what your party should be pushing, and they can't get it passed through the Senate, uh, they're going to come asking to the White House, okay, you need to deliver, uh, since legislatively we don't have the numbers we need to enshrine abortion into law, we need the executive branch to take action. And so when you've ran on the pro-abortion platform that Joe Biden ran on, uh, they're looking for some deliverables. And it's not just a little bit of extra funding here and there. They want uh, to push the envelope to go after these states that are, for the first time in 50 years, protecting life at conception, seeking to help women and mothers in need. Uh, they don't want that to happen. They want pregnancy centers shut down. They want uh, the Biden administration to use every tool in their toolbox to go after pro-life doctors and even infringe upon conscience rights for any doctors that uh, reject uh, performing late-term abortions. And Connor, one of the things that the White House has discussed is declaring a state of emergency, a, an executive order health emergency. They haven't done that yet. What would that mean? Do you think the White House will actually take that step? It may be a step too far, but why it's concerning, Joseph, is that national emergency is for real emergencies, which is natural disasters, maybe a pandemic like we faced a few years ago. And what that does is free up the executive branch in times of emergency to maybe use some funds that otherwise have restrictions, give a little more legal authority to get in the ground and help where there's where there's help needed. Um, but if you declare health emergency over abortion, a political uh, ideology, uh, that's dangerous. It sets a very dangerous precedent, not just for this current administration, but any future administration to just use this uh, health emergency for whatever political desire you have at the time. And thankfully, you know, there would be litigation surrounding that if they did declare a health emergency that hopefully stop that from happening. But it is concerning that this president is even considering doing that with something so politically charged that's clearly not a health emergency. What I would say is a bigger health emergency are all those unborn babies that are going to continue to be killed in states like California and New York, um, if only the administration would declare health emergency over that. Yeah, well, Connor, I think a lot of people would say uh, in the world we live in now, in a world of safe spaces and living your own truth, emotional injuries are for many an actual national emergency. So I'm not totally surprised that they're asking the White House to get involved in this. But tell us, how does this get resolved? Uh, does the president really do anything? Is this a temper tantrum that's going to continue until they realize there's not much we can do? The power is actually back to the people and they're going to continue to fight this. Are they trying to gin this up just for November? And after that, it, they kind of move on. Yeah, I think it's going to be a little both. We'll see how it plays out this week. There's a lot of pressure on the Hill, some bills, uh, as you mentioned, being voted on in the House and some hearings on abortion issue. So the immediate aftermath, there's going to be pressure there for the White House. And uh, I, I think we'll want to look out for those fine details that come out in some of these uh, executive orders in the months ahead. But I think you said exactly right. They're going to put this, use this as a pressure point for the elections come November. They think this is their silver bullet to save his tanking economy and tanking policies. But I'll say this. If the Republicans are successful in taking back the House and Senate, look forward to tons more executive actions from a, a lame duck Biden White House to really push the FDA and others on abortion if, in fact, they lose the chambers of Congress. Well, you make an interesting point there about a lame duck Biden White House because it looks in some ways that we already have a lame duck Biden White House. And despite having a, a monopoly in Washington, D.C. There's been a lot that he's not been able to do, but we will continue to track that. And of course, we're thankful that there's a lot he's not able to do. Connor Semmelsberger, thank you for your time today. Love being on the show with you, Joseph. We'll talk to you soon. Coming up next, the state of Florida is trying to limit the use of Medicaid funds for gender transition. We'll talk about it when we come back. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. 
Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony, so glad that you are with us. On Friday of last week, there was a public hearing in Florida regarding a rule being proposed by the state's Agency for Healthcare Administration that would restrict Medicaid funding from transgender drugs and procedures. Why is that important? Should other states do likewise? Joining me now to talk about it and talk about the rule, as well as Friday's hearing, is Aaron DiPietro. He's the Legislative Affairs Director at the Florida Family Policy Council, and he's the Political Director for Florida Family Action. Aaron, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, Joseph, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it, we're glad to have you. Before we get into the details of the hearing, be specific with us if you can. What is being attempted there in Florida? Absolutely. That's a great question. I can read the rule change that's being recommended right now. It's very short and simple. It's basically saying that Florida Medicaid does not cover the following services for the treatment of gender dysphoria. Number one, puberty blockers. Number two, hormones and hormone antagonists. Number three, sex reassignment surgeries. And number four, any other procedure that alter primary or secondary sexual characteristics. In a nutshell, that's pretty much what the rule change that's being recommended uh, is stating. Now, a lot of us around the country have have watched you and your governor with great admiration as we see what's happening there in Florida. Is this something that came from the governor's office, from Governor DeSantis's office, or is this something that came from the agency? So this is something that came from the Surgeon General, uh, Joseph Latifo, here in the state of Florida. Um, and I have I would have no doubt, though, that the governor had a, a strong say in that, pushing this, you know, uh, very common sense policy that, you know, Florida taxpayer dollars should not be paying for these procedures based on the, the lack of evidence. And in many cases, the very the, the clear harmful evidences of these types of treatments and uh, procedures. Now, Aaron, we're very familiar with debates over the use of taxpayer funds for abortion. Is the is this essentially the same argument that this is something that taxpayers should not be forced to pay for because of conscience issues or is it science issues or is it a combination of those? I think it's a combination of all of those and even even more so. Obviously, there's the conscience factor that we should not be you know, paying for things that clearly violate the conscience rights of many Floridians. But I think even beyond that, the scientific data is so much not on the side of the whole gender uh, transition and reassignment procedures and movement 
uh, and actually the Department of Health uh, or the or the uh, Department ACA Department, the Agency for Healthcare Administration, which was the one that held the hearing last Friday, actually did an extremely detailed report and actually were very conservative in their estimations of many of the problems. But even at that, they went through a very detailed medical uh, and scientific analysis of the problems with gender reassignment uh, procedures, treatments, hormones, and, and other services on that nature. And putting that out there to say the evidence is not on the side of this. The, there's a lot of inconclusive yeah. evidence. In fact, there's a lot of potential harms. And we need a lot more studies uh, over the long term before we're going to be throwing taxpayer money at this issue. So they went into a very detailed scientific analysis of this sure. uh, types of procedures as well. Now, this rule would restrict the use of Medicaid funds for those procedures. How many, how much money is currently being spent on that, if any, or is this a preemptive move? I think this is somewhat of a preemptive move. I think there's been maybe select cases that have been occurring, but I think the uh, both the, the, the State Department, the ACA Department, and the DeSantis administration as a whole is seeing many of the procedures and seeing kind of some of the trends that we're seeing nationally, both in states like California, New York, uh, and really trying to take a preemptive measure to say, no, we're not going to allow this to go any further here in the state of Florida. We need to be able to be a wise steward of taxpayer funds and make sure that we're not uh, encouraging and pushing federal or sorry, state monies for these very harmful procedures. It's really reasonable, of course, to assume that that would become part of the objective because that's how the left works on these things. Once they decide that there's a right for you to do something, they then conclude there's a right for you to have your neighbor pay for it. And we've seen many examples of this. But how many states currently fund this? Is this a, is this a, a, a move, a rule or a law that other states should also be considering? Oh, absolutely. I think it's something that the other states should be considering. Uh, the ACA Department's health report actually went into uh, some of the other states. There, there are quite a few states in the nation that don't have policies one way or the other. kind of shows that, that we're really at the genesis of the push to get uh, Medicaid dollars in different states. But the ACA report does cover roughly, uh, I would say probably about um, maybe about 20 or so states currently, 20 to 25 states. I don't know the exact numbers. I'm looking at the maps right in front of me right here, have uh, expli you know, explicit uh, pro uh, provisions in terms of providing uh, state Medicaid funding for these types of treatments. Now, there are distinction in different state laws between you know, funding that's allowed for puberty blockers, and then there are several, you know, separate uh, restrictions on something like a sex reassignment surgery. So it varies from state to state. Some states allow all, you know, all of the above. Some states restrict certain ones and allow others. And then a few states, probably only around, I would say, uh, even probably less than 10 states currently have pretty strict restrictions on these types of uh, procedures, which I think Florida is helping to step ahead to kind of be one of the front runners and saying that we need to start actually putting this down as a serious policy in state law right now. We're talking to Aaron DPHR. He's a legislative affairs director at the F Florida Family Policy Council. Aaron, at this hearing, you've talked about the evidence that was presented, uh, the scientific evidence, that this is not great science. This is not necessarily good for the kids. There's lots of evidence that this is not actually helpful to people. What did the other side say? I assume they presented a case as well. What were their arguments for why public dollars should be made available for this? So I think part of it was that there was two factors. One was the appeal to all the different organizations, whether it's the APA or the American Medical Association and these other organizations that have been, you know, quote unquote, put out guidelines or recommendations encouraging these types of procedures. The problem is, as we know, Joseph, many of these organizations have been become very compromised by leftist activists and have kind of ceased to become really arbiters of medical you know, doctrine that have become more pushers of the leftist agenda. Another point that was mentioned, though, uh, I believe it actually by one of the experts that the state had brought in to kind of help, you know, oversee and uh, guide some of the testimony given was uh, Dr. Quentin uh, Van Meter of the American College of Pediatrics. And he actually pointed out that in many of the recommendations you see out there from some of these, you know, supposedly reputable medical groups, they're actually putting out something that are considered to be guidelines or recommendations. That's something completely different in the field of medicine of what would be called a standard of care. Standards of care are rigorous, uh, you know, you know, tested and, uh, you know, measured points of reference for medical treatment and procedures. 
those many times take decades of uh, uh, testing and experimentation to be able to get those down to a rigorous science. We have none of those on the field from any of these organizations, standards of cares. All they have been providing are guidelines. And as Dr. Van Meter stated in the testimony, uh, guidelines are simply one physician's opinion. That's pretty much all that a guideline is compared to a standard of care, which is a tested, proven procedure and uh, recommend recommendations for guidelines of care over a long haul versus someone's writing a paper and giving their opinion. Aaron D. Pietro, we really appreciate your time. This is an important story, and in so many ways, you and the state of Florida have been leading for the rest of the country. We hope this is another example of that. Thank you for your diligence, and thanks for taking some time to share with us today. Thank you so much, Joseph. It's a pleasure to be with you. Pleasure to be with you as well, Aaron. And we're going to continue this conversation because as part of these hearings was the story of detransitioners. And we are in a moment going to bring in Dr. Jennifer Bowens. She's the director of the Center for Family Studies here at Family Research Council. She has extensive clinical and research experience working with survivors of trauma and abuse. She's also taught on psychological trauma and research methods in several graduate programs. Dr. Bowens, good to see you today. It's good to be back with you, Joseph. Well, it's good to talk to you. Uh, I want to play, because part of the, the hearing that we just talked um, with uh, our last guest about uh, had to do with the story, whether we should pay for these, um, these surgeries with public dollars. And there was a, a young lady there named Chloe Cole who told a really important story. And, and Chloe is a detransitioner, which means... In the past, she identified as it's transgender. She no longer does. But I want to play a part of what she had to say to this committee and then let you tell us a little more about what's going on with young people like her. Let's go ahead and play clip four. Despite having a therapist and attending the top surgery class, I really didn't understand all the ramifications of any of the medical decisions I was making. I wasn't capable of understanding it, and it was downplayed consistently. No child should have to experience what I have. My consent was not informed, and I would fill them water with consent. Dr. Bowen, she says that her, in, her, con, her consent was not informed. Is this a common story? Yeah. Well, the fact of the matter is you really can't have informed consent as, a, as an adolescent. Your brain doesn't allow you to have informed consent, and it's not developed enough. Uh, we know from huge NIH studies and other studies that have gone on before more recent studies that adolescents aren't able to make complex decisions that require uh, the, the frontal part of our brain, you know, that, that most of us have um, adolescent experiences where we made decisions that, that we regret or that we think, if, gosh, if, if I had known what I know today, I wouldn't have made that decision. Well, imagine being presented with the kinds of decisions that these young people are experiencing, uh, to, ch to actually intervene, surgically intervene on your anatomy. Um, making that kind of decision at 15, 16, this is unconscionable. And it's really, uh, it's not informed consent because they cannot physiologically make that kind of decision. And Dr. Bowens, I'm going to play another clip from Chloe Cole also describing her experience. And here she begins to describe what she is now aware of that she didn't really have an understanding of when she made these uh, these permanent decisions. Let's play clip five. I don't know. I don't know if I'll be able to fully carry a child. Um, and I might be at increased risk for certain cancers, namely cervical cancer. And because I do not have my breasts, I, I no longer have breasts. I, I'm not able to breastfeed whatever future children I have. That realization actually was um, one of the biggest things that leads to me realizing that I, this was not the path that I should have taken. Dr. Bowens, when you hear stories like this, there are people on the other side who would look at this and and say it just ultimately it doesn't matter what what is the reason that we are pushing this and and in her case in, in Chloe Cole's case we're talking about somebody who was 13 14 15 when this is happening but we are transitioning children much earlier than that 
Do they not understand? Do they not care? Do they not believe this story? What, what's going through their mind that encourages them to encourage children to make these drastic decisions? Yeah, and the thing is that the transgender ideology is so ideologically driven, and it is, uh, in my view, it, it becomes a religion. And it takes a lot of faith to believe that someone who's standing before you who is biologically female or biologically male is um, actually something other than that. Um, so this is, this is a religion. I think some of the people who believe in it believe in it wholeheartedly. Um, or, you know, there are a whole host of reasons. I mean, I don't want to just minimize it to that, but there are people that really do believe that this is um, the way to think about the world, and that's, we have a particular worldview, and they do. And the unfortunate thing is that ours is more based in reality. And the problem is, like, as your previous guest was talking about uh, with Medicaid, who, who um, receives Medicaid? Oftentimes, these are people who do not have final, financial resources, oftentimes have higher rates of, of abuse, of childhood abuse. Of course, not everybody. But when we're talking about Medicaid recipients, that also could include um, foster children. And those are the ones that we are experimenting on with our public dollars. And this is, this is what's the most tragic, uh, is that we are, we are targeting, um, the very most vulnerable in our population, the ones who should be receiving help instead, um, instead of in their hour of need when all of life may have been tragic before, uh, you know, coming to a counselor's office or what have you, um, instead they're, like Chloe talked about, she's getting physiologically damaged and, and not helped. So not only is there proper treatment delayed, but there's also the physiological damage that uh, is presented them as a treatment option. Dr. Balance, you know, I'm, I'm here in Wisconsin with 100 teenagers this week, and we're talking about leadership issues and policy issues. And I also am the father of three teenagers as well. And this is the one area, it seems, where in every respect the adults are told to submit to the will and understanding and wisdom of children. Why is this the one area in which the adults are supposed to set aside all judgment, all experience, all of their knowledge and say, no, nope, listen to your children? Yeah, well, 30 seconds. Yeah, because it's ideologically driven and not fact um, and truth driven. So therefore, um, parents are threatened with children committing suicide or threatened with the, this is the only way. And if you don't conform to this way, then something terrible, even worse than what we're talking about with transing, is going to happen to your child. So, so fear is the primary driver of this ideology, and it's very unfortunate. That's a, that's a great note to end this on, but I think it's a really important one. This really is about fear, and we have to overcome fear with hope and with love. That's what the gospel helps us to do. Dr. Bounds, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And friends, thank you for being with us today as well. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Tony will be here with you on Washington Watch. Until then, fear God and nothing else. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.